0: Good morning. Pray with me, will you? Father, we are humbled as we take your word in our hands and as we read it, because we know that it reveals to us who you are and who we are, and we realize how far short we fall. We realize our temptation, our our tendency to fall into the same sin again and again. I pray you give us victory. I pray that as we look at this 13th chapter of Nehemiah, that you would help us gain insight from it to how we can have victory every day over sin, the sin that so easily entangles and keeps us from running well the race that you've marked out for us. So help us, Lord, by your word and by your Spirit's power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Tina and I got a text from a friend a short while ago that really broke our hearts to read it. Uh, as we read through this, this text, uh, uh, there were a few words that just kind of leaped off the screen at us, and, and those words were, my cancer is back, my cancer is back. It reminded me of other times in, in the course of my ministry when I've gotten that message from a friend, and, and what, what follows after that is, is generally a very hard path. So it was hard to read those words. I don't know if you've ever gotten a message like that, but uh, those are hard words, words we don't want to hear. The reason I bring that up is because I think that those words really set well the stage for the 13th chapter of Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, returns from uh, uh, about a two-year absence um, and finds something equally discouraging, His people's sin is back. He dealt with it in chapter 10, thought he got all of it. But here it's back with a vengeance in chapter 13. The very areas that were addressed in chapter 10 are problems again in chapter 13. It's all back. Remember the four areas that he addressed in chapter 4? Relationships, work and rest, worship and giving. Each of those They took action on in chapter 10. Each of those is back in chapter 13. The people had identified those four key areas, and they had committed themselves to living by godly priorities in those areas. What's happening now in chapter 13 in those areas? Well, with regard to relationships... The people promised in chapter 10, verse 30, not to intermarry anymore. But in chapter 13, verse 23, we find it's happening again. It's back. Work and rest. The the people promised in chapter 10, verse 31, to observe the Sabbath, not even to buy from foreigners on the Sabbath. But in chapter 13, verse 15, the Sabbath has become just another regular work day again. With regard to worship, the people promised in chapter 10, verse 32, to take care of the house of God and to make provision for worship. But in chapter 13, verse 4, we see that one of the storerooms in the temple that was dedicated to hold items given to worship had been changed over into an apartment for Tobiah, one of the men who had opposed Nehemiah so strongly. With regard to giving... The people promised in chapter 10, verse 37 and following to bring the first fruits into the storehouse of God. But in chapter 13, verse 10 and following, they're not giving and the Levites had returned to farming to make ends meet. What in the world has happened between chapter 10 and chapter 13? How could they turn so quickly from the things they had pledged themselves to? I see a couple of answers in the text. One is that they had no real accountability. Chapter 13, verse 6 tells us that all of this took place while Nehemiah was back in Babylon. He had been recalled to Babylon by King Artaxerxes. He had been in Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, Uh, with permission from Artaxerxes, but Artaxerxes recalled him to Babylon, and that recall was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of two years. We know from the book of Ezra that it took Ezra four months to travel from Babylon to Jerusalem one way, so double that for travel time on the round trip and however long he was stationed there in Babylon. But the bottom line is that the man who had led them in chapter 10 to the point of pledging themselves to live by godly priorities was off the scene. And their accountability was gone with him. The other issue is this. That's the way sin works. We see it all over the pages of scripture. Sin is always waiting to come back like a malignancy. In Genesis chapter 4, God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. And it's the same for us. Sin is always crouching at the door. It's always wanting to have mastery over us, to gain dominance over us. But we need to master it. And not just grow accustomed to it in our lives. And what would shock us and repel us if we saw it in the starkness of what it really is. We somehow just get used to over time. We find ourselves getting accustomed to the sin that's around us. Things that once scandalized us when they came out in movies are now commonplace things in the lives of people all around us. Things that were once considered shameful are now celebrated. Uh, They're now protected. And people who would speak up and say something about those things, things that were were the common consensus of all of us a generation ago, it is is considered shameful to speak against them now. Uh, People who speak against them, people who oppose them, are considered hateful. Uh, They're taken to court. They're canceled. And before we know it, we find ourselves acquiescing to a culture that's lost its way. Like the frog in the kettle, we don't notice that the water is heating up. Alexander Pope put it this way a long time ago. Vice or sin is a monster of so frightful mean as to be hated needs but to be seen. Yet, seen too oft, familiar with her face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. You see the progression? Pity turns to enduring it, and then, or enduring it turns to pity, then embracing it in our own lives. So what can be done to get back on track? It's a matter of hearing and obeying the Word of God Take your your Bibles, if you don't have one open already to the book of Nehemiah, it's on page 408 in the Bibles we provide here, but take a look at verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. Nehemiah made sure that when he found this sin in their lives in chapter 13, that they turned first to the word of God. He made sure they heard the word, and he made sure they acted on it as well. Look at verse three. As soon as the people heard the law, they took action. Nehemiah saw to it, as we'll see here in chapter 13. So here in this chapter, we find Nehemiah returning to Jerusalem from Babylon, to find all sorts of things wrong, and we find him using all of his influence to deal with it. Throughout this passage, Nehemiah will be reminding people that they need to do more than be hearers of the word. They need to be doers of the word as well. We see Nehemiah stepping in, in situation after situation, to make sure that the people are being doers of God's word, acting on the word. If you want the sermon in a sentence, this is it. Sin is a malignancy, and it needs to be detected early, dealt with quickly, and watched for continually. So let's talk first about early detection. I've listed several verses there in your program, 7, 10, 15, 23, 28. In those verses, Nehemiah uses words that describe detection, Finding sin out. He says, I then discovered, I also found out, I saw, I also saw. And in these verses, he is describing what he detects when he returns from Babylon. Verse 7 says, I came to Jerusalem and I then discovered the evil. That Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. The people had given Tobiah, this man who had so so consistently opposed Nehemiah, a room in the house of God, took a storeroom. Uh, One commentator describes it as a small warehouse. Full of things given to temple worship of the living God had removed those things and allowed uh, Tobiah to move into that space and use it as his personal apartment. Right in the capital city in the very temple of God. Verse 10 tells of more that he discovered. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. People hadn't been giving to support the work of the Levites. I've known churches and organizations that have had to run a deficit budget sometimes. Sometimes you hit a lean season, so you make adjustments. The Levites did that. They went back to their farms. They went back to their crops. Maybe they thought this is just a deficit time. Maybe this is just a special season. Maybe they thought this was the new reality. But Nehemiah comes in and sees this and goes, hold it. What's going on here? This isn't the way it should be. Nehemiah brings fresh eyes to the situation that people had gotten used to seeing. Verse 15 tells of another. He says, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, And also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. They weren't respecting the Sabbath anymore. It's being violated. And this wasn't hard to detect. Verse 15 tells us the people were treading wine presses. That's pretty obvious. Is that working on the Sabbath? Yeah, pretty definitely. They were bringing in heaps of grain. All kinds of loads, it says. A couple weeks ago I mentioned blue laws that were in effect when I was a boy. Uh, stores were closed all over the country on Sunday. It was just the way it was and, and blue laws began to be repealed and now it's really the unusual store that's closed on a Sunday. Why do you suppose that is? It's because there's money to be made. There's money to be made. If you work more hours, you get more money. If your stores open more hours, you're going to get more money. And it was the same motivation in Nehemiah's day. Wrong priorities, short-sighted priorities, disregarding God's design of work and rest. There is a time for work, and there is a time to pull back from work, to replenish yourself, to reflect on the significance of your work before you dig into it once again. But when we lose sight of God's design and when we lose sight of him, our priorities get messed up and we end up looking like everyone else around us. Verse 23 and 24 tells us of another one. In those days I also saw... The Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. Intermarriage is going on again. That wasn't hard to detect either, when the little children are unable to speak Hebrew. Now, Think about the implications of that for just a minute. What language were the scriptures written in? What language would these children have have no access to? Uh, They would be cut off from the word of God. They're raising a generation not to know God. One more in verse 28. It's introduced just with the word and. And. He could have said, and I discovered, or and I saw, but it just says, and one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. Sanballat was one of these arch enemies of Nehemiah, all the way back to chapter 2. And this man is now connected with the family by marriage of the high priest, So, how come it took Nehemiah returning from Babylon to notice this stuff? It's because of a human tendency that we all have. We tend to deceive ourselves as to the presence and the seriousness of sin. Psalm 36 verses 1 and 2 in the NIV, it says this, I have a message from God in my heart considering the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. We deny that sin is there. And when we're forced to admit that it is, we deny that it is serious. It's a common pattern, and it reflects a heart condition. The people Nehemiah confronted didn't detect or hate their own sin because they didn't want to see it. Here's where a brother or sister in Christ can help us. That person can can help us put a finger on the sin in our lives that we've grown accustomed to, that we don't see anymore. They can see it when we don't want to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a great book called Life Together. It describes life in the underground seminary that he founded during the reign of Adolf Hitler. It's a wonderful book on Christian community. I'd recommend it. In that book, he tells of the benefit of having a trusted brother or sister in the Lord that you can share your struggles with. And when you fall, that, that you can confess your sin in front of, to rob sin of its power over you, and to be reassured of the love of God that forgives us and restores us when we confess our sin. Early detection, we all need it. We can use the help of a brother or sister in the Lord. Help us gain early detection. The second thing we need is quick correction. Quick correction. When we detect our sin, or when someone else helps us detect it, we need to be careful not to delay in dealing with it. In verses 8 and 9, we find this temple storeroom that had been given over as an apartment to Tobiah. We find it cleaned out and restored you get the picture of a very angry Nehemiah physically throwing Tobiah's stuff out to the curb or maybe out of an open window. But he deals with it. With regard to the tithe in verses 11 to 13, we find Nehemiah confronting these people who had withheld the tithe and taking corrective action. And notice that he confronts not the Levites who had returned to the farm but he confronts the officials who let this happen on their watch the bar is set high for those who would be leaders leaders have a huge responsibility leaders must give account Nehemiah sets good leaders reliable men in place in verse 13 The next thing that he deals with in verses 15 to 22 is the Sabbath violations that were going on. And Nehemiah gives a warning and he confronts people and he gives commands and he stations guards at the gates of Jerusalem to make sure no merchandise is brought in or out on the Sabbath. And in verse 18, he calls their history to mind. He says, Don't you folks remember? You've been through this before. The prophet Jeremiah warned you about this before you went into exile. In Jeremiah 17, verses 19 to 27. And they're coming out of exile and falling into it again. This is what sent them to exile in the first place. Nehemiah warns them severely. He deals with the intermarriage issue in verses 23 to 27, complete with cursing and beating and hair-pulling. How about that? It's, it's amazing to read this passage who says the Bible is boring. But he curses at these people, and he beats on them, and he pulls their hair out to get their attention. You're doing something that is wrong, needs to be confronted. And one last one in verse 28 with regard to Sanballat's son in law. He says, I chased him out. I chased him out of the temple. Doesn't belong there. Nehemiah dealt quickly and seriously with each of these issues. Does that sound a little drastic, the things that he did? Maybe, if it's nothing serious. But that's the whole point. Sin is serious. And it needs to be dealt with, not toyed with. The Bible tells us Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, he makes sin look appealing. He makes it look desirable, he makes it look like something we want. But in reality, he is no angel of light. In reality, he is a prowling lion looking for someone to what? Devour. Devour. 1 Peter 5, eight. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He doesn't really want to just mess you up. He wants to devour you. When you become aware of sin in your life, the sooner you turn, the sooner you turn, the sooner you can get on the right path again. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for four things. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. In teaching, we are showing people the right way. And when they leave the right way and and begin to get off of the right path, we reprove them. We point it out when they have left the right path. And we stop them in their tracks and get them to consider what they're doing. Reproof gives way to correction, to turning them back to the right path. And finally, training in righteousness helps them stay on that right path. We need early detection for the sin in our lives. We need quick correction. We also need constant vigilance. You need to put some systems in place that can help you keep your promises. In verse 9, he says, gives orders to cleanse the temple. He makes sure that this storeroom that had been given over to Tobiah is, is purged of his, his contents, his furniture, his personal effects, and that it is cleansed so that it can be used again for the Lord and for what he chose to have that room uh, set aside for. In verse 13, he says, I appointed trustworthy men, over the treasury to make sure that the tithes were coming in and that they were going to the right place. In verse 19, he says, I commanded that the doors be shut for the Sabbath day, the doors to the city so that people wouldn't be bringing goods in for sale anymore. In verse 25, he says, I made them take an oath not to intermarry anymore with the pagan people of the surrounding culture. And in verses 14 and 22 and 29, we get a glimpse into the the personal journal, the prayer journal, if you will, of Nehemiah. Part of the vigilance that needs to take place in our lives comes in the form of prayer. And in these three verses, he acknowledges and shows his reliance on God, Look at verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. Do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. He knows that if this is going to last, it needs to be God's intervention, not just his presence, not just Nehemiah's presence that's going to keep people true to God's word. Look at verse 22. Remember this also in my favor, O my God. Spare me. According to the greatness of your steadfast love. And in the very end of the book, remember me, oh my God, for good. Get a glimpse into the prayer life of Nehemiah. He wants to hear, well done, good and faithful servant when he stands before God. So he asks God for his help. Early detection, quick correction, constant vigilance. Sin is a malignancy needs to be detected early, dealt with quickly, and watched for continually. Howard Hendricks was a professor for some 50 years at Dallas Theological Seminary. Godly man, wrote a number of books. But Howard Hendricks did a study of 246 men in full-time ministry, 246 men in full-time ministry who all experienced a moral failure within two years of each other. 246. Interviewed them all. As far as he could discern, these full-time clergy were men who were born-again followers of Jesus. They shared a common salvation, and they shared a common devastation as well. All of them within 24 months of each other had been involved in a moral failure with a woman other than their wife. After interviewing each man, Howard Hendricks compiled four common characteristics of their lives, four things they all had in common. Number one, none of them were involved in any kind of real personal accountability. None of them, no accountability. Characteristic number two, each of them had all but ceased having a daily time of personal prayer, Bible reading, and worship. Too busy for God and his word. Characteristic number three, more than 80% of them became involved with the other woman after spending significant time with her alone, often in counseling situations. And characteristic number four, without exception, each of the 246 men thought it could never happen to them. Don't let that sin or any other sin happen to you, because it can. Thomas Jefferson said, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. And Nehemiah chooses to end his book with that reminder for our spiritual freedom. Sin is always crouching at the door. It's always wanting to get back into our lives. And its presence requires early detection, quick correction, and constant vigilance to keep it from coming back. Would you pray with me? Father, we recognize that we are vulnerable ourselves, that sin is crouching at our door. And Father, I pray that you would not allow us to fall for it. We see it around us all the time. It's pervasive in our culture. And Father, we don't want to acquiesce to a culture that's lost its way. We want to stand out distinct as your people. We want to be faithful to you. We want to be clean and pure vessels that you can use. So, Father, help us to detect early the sin that's crouching at our door. Help us to deal with it quickly when we see it coming. Help us to be continually vigilant. So, Father, use us as your chosen people to share the hope that goes beyond this life that others need to hear, that they may find forgiveness in Christ, restoration to a relationship with you that was lost at the fall, but that Jesus makes possible because of his death and burial and resurrection. And the power that raised him from the dead can empower our lives to live victoriously for you, Let that happen by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.